This church building is a beautiful space. Each week when I worship, I look around. I imagine all the prayers that have been said and all the hymns that have been sung, all to the glory of God in our lives together in this faith community, in our celebration of life together, new life as we had in baptisms last week, and a new lives being brought together in covenant and in celebration of the lives of those who have died. These prayers and hymns are the strength of this place and have been the strength of this community since the first church building was built here in 1740. The first one destroyed during the Battle of Ridgefield, the church would be built three more times. And here we are in the fourth church building on these same grounds. What a long history of resilience. What a long history of a community living together in faith. A faith so deep that it leads to utter trust in God. A trust in God that endures all that life has thrown at it. That endures because of the lives that have lived in the love of God and in love of one another. And as a newcomer, I instinctively know this. I can feel it. But I can also tell by the artifacts that were chosen to be in this fourth church building. A few of those are tablets behind me on either side of the stained glass at the altar. On your left are the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And on your right are Matthew's Beatitudes. Blessed are those, for theirs is the inheritance of the kingdom of God. You can see it also on the dedication plaques that are around on the walls. You can read the Christian hope in the inscriptions in these. In the back to your left is Nathan Douchey, who died in 1829. His inscription reads, in the glorious of hope of a blessed immortality. This inscription shows us the hope of everlasting life and the kingdom of heaven. To your right in the rear is Samuel Stebbins, who died in 1836. His inscription reads, Blessed are those are the dead who die in the Lord. The hope of belonging to God in everlasting life. And in the back of the nave, the prayer that you walk into this glorious space, the one that's on that stand, you might walk past it each Sunday and never see it. I mean, I know how I have. Please stop and read the entire thing. I'm going to point out just the last part to you. It reads, No man entering a house ignores him who dwells in it. This is the house of God, and he is here. God is here. God dwells here. God is with us. This is what the temple was to the Jews. The first temple that was built replaced the tabernacle, that portable earthly meeting place of God, a place of, for God's dwelling. King Solomon built the first temple about a thousand years before the birth of Christ. The Pharaoh of Egypt sacked it a few decades later. And a little reconstruction took place a couple of times, but then the first temple was totally destroyed by the Babylonians the Jewish community coming out of Babylonian exile 
just a mere 40 years later, rebuilt the temple. It was the first thing they did. They built a dwelling place for God and a place to worship God. Herod the Great renovated and expanded the building around 20 years before the, before the birth of Christ, and it became the most beautiful building one could imagine. It occupied the central place in the national life, religion and imagination. In the gospel lesson today, this is where we find Jesus. He has finished his journey. He knew early on when he set his face toward Jerusalem why he was going there. He was going where prophets go to die, to the temple. And now he is there in the temple teaching. Rested and refreshed after their long journey, the disciples are standing in the middle of the temple near Jesus, kind of standing around, gawking around and taking in everything they had with their mouths wide open. They are struck by the enormity and the beauty of the temple. For us, it's like seeing the redwoods in California for the first time, or maybe the Golden Gate Bridge, or maybe even Mount Rushmore. Go ahead and imagine anything that you stood in awe of for its size, its majesty, and its beauty. This is the way the disciples were looking at the temple. You can imagine the disciples in that same state of awe in the majesty and beauty of the temple. Jesus is teaching, and they are worlds away in their own thoughts. Then Jesus snaps back them, them back into reality, interrupting their thoughts. He just jumps right in and says, As for those things that you see, these days will come, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. I'm not sure the disciples believed him at the time because it would be hard to imagine stones weighing 400 tons stacked about 20 stories high could ever be destroyed. But in saying this, Jesus is letting his disciples know a couple things, things that he has known all along, that he will die and be resurrected. And the world as they knew it, the world as we know it, will pass away. They asked Jesus when they can expect this destruction, the passing of the world and the, and the coming of the new world. And they asked what signs might be given. Jesus doesn't answer the when question directly, but he says there are things that must take place first before the coming of the new world, before our heavenly Jerusalem. These things that must take place first Jesus mentions some pretty scary stuff. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, wars and insurrections, natural disasters like earthquakes, famine and plagues. This is the one place in Luke where we get this apocalyptic literature, an apocalypse, a revealing or a revelation, a revelation of things to come. And this is where we live. We live between Jesus' death and resurrection and the promise of a new world. We anticipate and long for this new world. The first century Christians thought that the new world order was imminent. 
The disciples asked Jesus when, and he didn't answer. They didn't know. The first century Christians didn't know, nor the generations of Christians to follow. And we don't know. We just don't know. And this can seem unsettling. This had to have been unsettling for the first several hundred centuries after Jesus. With a hundred-year war, empires taking down empires in Europe and in the Far East, the Black Plague, and many other things. This can be unsettling when we experience the things in the world that we have experienced, that this church community has experienced in the two and a half centuries since it was first built. The Revolutionary War occurred since you've been built, Civil War, disease, two world wars, Korea, Vietnam, domestic strife, 9-11. And it can be unsettling today when it looks like the current fighting around the world, the insurrections, our nations rising against nations, when it looks like Hurricane Matthew in the, is the natural disaster that will leave famine and plague in Haiti, when our personal tragedies like the sudden loss of a loved one, can feel like our own little apocalypse. When our national elections have had unprecedented rhetoric and fallout, and we wonder how we as a nation can be settled, get past this unsettlement, and come together again. Where and how do we find our way? The gospel message can be scary. But as scary as it seems, Jesus says, when you hear these things, when you experience these things, do not be terrified. We will not be terrified because we can experience these things in life and not let them overwhelm us. We will not be terrified because we can experience these things in life and endure them and remain settled. This is not to say that it's easy. It is not. Just think of those things that I've mentioned. Those things that have taken place in our world. The things that are taking place in our world and in our own lives right now. When we're in it, it's hard to imagine that we'll come through it and make it on the other side. I think we've all experienced uh, what it was like to be teenagers. <laughs> we can make it. We have proven that we have. We have proven that we can. We have learned to live in this in-between. We can endure. In prayer and faith, we can endure. Our faith is a matter of trust, a trust in God. And in that trust, we do not need to be afraid. God does not promise that bad things won't happen to us, that bad things will not happen in this world. God does not promise that the world will not stay the same. He does not promise that bad things won't happen in our personal lives. But God does promise that he will be with us. We can have trust that God and God's presence with us is unshakable. As I look around again at this beautiful space we worship in, it's not the great pillars that run up and down both sides of this great building. It is not the artifacts that I pointed out earlier. 
It is you. It is me. It is those who have gone before us, and it is those who will come in the next generation, and in those generations to come. It is we who have been baptized here, married here, and buried loved ones here. And it is we who are in faith relationship together, loving God and loving one another. And it is not this building that holds all of those things for us. For just as the temple, this building may not last. No, these things are maintained in our hearts forever. Just as it was for Nathan Douchy and Samuel Stebbins, whose inscriptions hold the hope of the new world and life everlasting. And it is God who has inscribed them on our hearts. In our gospel lesson today, we are reminded that God chose us to be holy. God chose us to inherit the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. As people of faith, we can stand firm on the gospel because of God's promises to us in Jesus Christ are certain. We can take comfort because God's plans for us are good. In just a few moments, we will come to this altar to receive communion. We come to this table together despite our differences. We come to this table together because we need to be fed. We come to this table together because we are the body of Christ. When you come up here today, don't leave space between you. Get shoulder to shoulder. We need each other in this body of Christ. And as we partake in the body and blood of Christ, we are certain of God's dwelling place, that we may dwell in him and he in us. We are the temple of God. Amen. Amen.